Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Patriot to the Core podcast. I am Thad Forrester, and welcome to this special edition. Uh, This is my third special edition in just the last few weeks, but the reason why this one is unique is because today, September 29th, is the anniversary of my little brother Mark's death in Afghanistan. He's the reason why I started this podcast, so that's why I am paying some tribute to him today, and I do occasionally throughout the year as well, Uh, but today I bring in... Mark's great friend and teammate Bobby Manello, and we're going to talk about how Bobby found out about Mark's death because Bobby was deployed downrange with Mark as well. Uh, he was in a, at a different location in Afghanistan, but he found out about Mark's death by accident, really. And but just he just happened to hear the comms, and he was like, "Whoa, that's Mark's team!" And so he ended up uh, getting a flight out of there in some bad weather because he was Mark's um, escort, and he just we just talk about. Um, how he and Mark became friends, how uh, he felt when he first saw Mark after he was killed, and then you know, all the way through to the dignified transfer at Dover, where our, we were there, and to welcome, you know, I guess to, to welcome Mark's body back on American soil, and then you know, Bobby also spoke at the funeral and at a, at a memorial service in North Carolina. So he's been a great friend. He was a great friend of Mark. He's been a great friend to us. And uh, we're happy for Bobby. He's he's was married back this spring, and now he is going to be a new daddy coming up this winter. And he's also he's in the guard. He's in grad school. He's working. So great things going on with him. And he's a great American patriot that has served our country at an elite level. And so I hope you enjoy this time with him. That's both happy and also uh, there's some somber moments too. So if you're not interested in hearing an entire episode that's basically about Mark, my brother, then this is not the episode for you, but it's it's a special one and it's important to me to have these things recorded. Now a lot of this is, is covered in my book, My Brother in Arms, but some of it is not. Plus it's nice to have an oral history as well. So how did you and Mark become friends? Uh, yeah, Mark and I, we actually met at the uh, in the pipeline for combat control, um, originally um, down in San Antonio, Texas, which is where we do our selection process for about two weeks. Um, so we met down there, and uh, we actually went through the entire pipeline, so about two years of training together. Yeah, so on, maybe on the surface, y'all may not have had a ton in common, but y'all became great friends. So how did y'all start hanging out, and despite... You know, I know you're a few years difference in your age, and um, yeah. you, you were probably not as tame as Mark was. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, honestly, like it was just like a brotherhood, you know. Like all the stuff you hear about and you know, people going through, you know, difficult times together. You just, it's just, you know, something scientifically that brings people closer together, and so. Um, you know, it was interesting because we did have a, a pretty diverse group of uh, of guys that went through the pipeline together. So, I think on other, you know, in other like circumstances, we probably maybe we wouldn't all have been that close per se. But um, but yeah, I mean, like Mark and I just kind of gravitated towards each other. I mean, you know, we had similarities, but I mean, in terms of like our upbringing, we were very different. You know, he's from the south. I'm from up north. Um, you know, he was. Um, walking a very religious path and 
you know, I'm not saying that I, I don't, but I mean, uh, you know, it wasn't nearly as uh, centered in my life as it was for him. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, we were just kind of hit gr- common ground, you know, um, throughout the couple of years of training that we had. And then I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, but we lived together in North Carolina after, uh, after training was over. So, um, I don't know. It was kind of common that you just, you know, you just kind of gravitated towards people and, you know, Mark and I kind of quit. What about, how did you each help each other? I definitely know you helped Mark in the, in the style area and then maybe what did, did he, what did he do for you? For both of you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know we talked about that before and I was joking Mark that he had uh, like old, old lady style. And so, you know, I kind of helped him out, you know, he, uh, he, uh, I guess, you know, we took him, uh, took him to the mall a couple of times and kind of pointed out some stuff that I think might, might work for him. So it was pretty funny, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Mark was just like an, kind of like an older, wiser type of, you know, friend and kind of almost looked at him as like an older brother kind of, um, you know, he's just very, very intelligent guy. Um, you know, I could kind of go with him or go to him to ask any type of question, you know, whether it be related to our job or just kind of life experience, you know, he's, he was really a level-headed guy. So it was just, it was, he was easy to talk to and, and offer like, you know, common sense advice, you know? So I would always be able to kind of approach him about, you know, pretty much anything. And, uh, it, it was nice to kind of have that, uh, central or like, I guess, non-biased opinion, and um, so, yeah, it was, it was pretty neat just kind of have him around in that aspect. What about with women? Did you help him out in that area? Because he always, you know, would complain about, you know, we'd go out and eat, <laughs> and he always had a dude serving him. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the thing was, is actually, believe it or not, I mean, I, I'm sure you believe it, but, you know, Mark, Mark uh, attracted, you know, the females. There's no question about it. He, uh... I don't know. Obviously, he's a good-looking guy, and girls kind of, you know, were definitely attracted to him. Um, so, I mean, I feel like he kind of held his own on that. But, um, but you know, the thing was is, like, Mark was definitely a unique person. And so, you know, when girls would meet him, like, obviously they'd think he's, like, kind of like this bigger-than-life, you know, personality just because he's just such such a, like, you know, awesome guy to be around. But at the same time, they just, they didn't really know how to, you know, like take him because he was just so much different than your, you know, a normal, like bro off the street, so to speak, you know, I don't know how else to put it, but, uh, no, it was always, it was always pretty interesting to watch, you know, for sure. So when y'all got your assignments for your first deployment, I mean, what, what were y'all's thoughts and did you find out at the same time? And, and also I'm curious you know, with Mark going to Cobra, did y'all talk about that much? And and then how did your deployments differ from where you were to where Mark was? Yeah. So, I mean, originally, uh, after training, uh, we, we both actually, Mark originally got, uh, assigned to Florida, you know, unit down there. And, um, and he was, uh, he seemed like he was happy with it at first. And then he kind of was like, I don't know about this. Like, you know, I, I heard the North Carolina units a little bit better. And so I, I, I originally got stationed there. And so he was kind of like, yeah, I think I want to kind of transfer or like switch with somebody because there's a guy that was supposed to be going with me. And, um, and so Mark uh, asked if he could switch 
and got uh, approval to come and, and be stationed in North Carolina with me. So it was cool. Um, and so, um, you know, we went through our training there, upgrade training, and then, you know, Mark really excelled in the, the, the you know, at the JTAC thing, the Joint Terminal Attack Controller. And so did I. I mean, like, it just came a little bit more naturally to him because he's just, a, you know, a really intelligent guy. Um, so anyways, um, based on our performance, um, once we got to our, you know, our active duty units, um, kind of dictated like where you would go, you know, where you deploy downrange to Afghanistan. And, you know, it was kind of unprecedented that Mark, uh, was chosen to go to Cobra because like basically how it was like, you know, every guy would kind of be in the hopper, so to speak and say, Hey, you know, 10 guys are deploying this, this, you know, for the next six months and we're prepping for that. And, um, you know, these, these are the 10 slots available. And so it was kind of like a rack and stack on who was the most experienced usually, but also kind of like who was the best JTAC to fit the most active positions. And so for us, I think it was five of us that were going and five of us that need to fill five positions down range. And so, uh, it just so happened that Cobra happened to be one of those places that needed to be backfilled. And, um, so of the five guys that were deploying, Mark happened to be um, the, I guess, best uh, JTAC of those five. And so he was selected to go. And I, I say the best because he was not the most experienced, but he was the best. So there were other guys that had uh, more, more experience than him, but just kind of didn't show the aptitude that Mark showed. So that was ultimately how he got selected to go to Cobra and um, it's interesting it's an interesting thing because there was some um, heartburn over that decision um, there were people that were not happy about that people that were either currently home station and there were guys down range saying like hey you know you should move me here and you know this is Mark's first deployment he shouldn't necessarily be going to Cobra and so that was kind of a point of contention for at the time for our unit. And of course, like, you know, I know I'm kind of getting a little long winded here with this question, but, um, you know, Mark proved over the five months that he was at Cobra that he, he should be there. Like, so, you know, obviously he was brand new in his first deployment, but, you know, he spent five complete months, at that location and did very, very great things, um, uh, for his team and for himself and, you know, to represent combat control, um, uh, as a whole. So I think what I'm trying to get at is it's an testament to the level of professionalism and, you know, the level of, um, you know, I guess quality of guy that you were dealing with. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. What did he tell you, Bobby, you know, when he found out and, I'm guessing that he knew at least some of the chatter going on. What were his thoughts on it? Yeah. So it was kind of, it was interesting. Cause like he, he told me, you know, one day he's like, Hey, uh, kind of like, you know, whispered it sort of speak like, Hey man, uh, I guess there's some rumors going around that I might be going to Cobra. And I was like, yeah, I don't know about that, man. Like it just seemed a little bit of a far fetched idea. And, um, just because it was so outside the norm, you know, of what typically happened. And, uh, and so, you know, I kind of was just, you know, I guess that it was sent, you know, to a sense I was like, 
envious because I was like, oh, it's gonna be awesome. You're gonna do awesome things. You're gonna be, you know, in you know, in, in a very active place, which is obviously all of us wanted to be. Um, but at the same time, I was, you know, I I was a little bit skeptical because I knew, like, like, hey, man, like, this is this is not a this is not a game. You know, obviously we uh, we train hard, but it's like you know you kind of want the best for your best friend and. I know that that was a very um, challenging place to be. And so, you know, I was obviously I didn't let him know this, but I, it was worrisome because, you know, I just know that place is, is nowhere to mess around. You know, what it was not forgiving, I guess you could say. Do you think it bothered him that some other people were upset that he was going? No, I don't, I don't think it bothered him. Um, I don't think that's a good word for it. Um, I think he was honestly more concerned, like, you know, because he was just always, like, interested in, you know, like, being people's friends and, uh, you know, making a good reputation and an impression on people. And so I think he was more, like, of the mindset that, you know, he didn't really want to make people mad or make enemies because he was chosen to go there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, yeah. he told me, I remember him telling me that he was going to Cobra, and he said, hey, don't say anything about that right now, Thad, because I think some people aren't happy about it. And I, I didn't understand what that meant at all. I mean, I understand yeah. much more now, but um, he was, he just like, hey, I just want you to know this is this is where I'm going. Of course, I knew nothing about it at the time. Yeah. So how did his deployment, now y'all are in country, how did his differ from yours? Um, yeah, so, I mean, the thing is, is, like, Afghanistan is, is such a complex place, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very tribal, right? So, you know, it's just got, you know, I'll kind of, like, equate it to, you know, being in the United States. Like, if you're in, you know, Southern California, it is a much different culture than it is in Alabama, you know, and that's mm -hmm. the best way to describe it, and so... It's very similar in Afghanistan. Whatever region you're in, it's very, very different. And so um, with that comes, you know, people who were, um, you know, on the side, so to speak, of the Taliban or, you know, it was a safe haven for them or maybe a stronghold for them. And so, you know, places tend to be more active than others and you know that's that's uh dynamic too it's not always like one place is always the worst and the next place is you know so it changed right but for me it was um it was pretty you know i got my feet wet really quick i i think it was the second day in country and it was uh i mean i was in a uh, very very close engagement with you know rifles you know up to 20 to 30 meters that's you know it's relatively close and so um i definitely got my feet wet quickly um but it wasn't it wasn't covert right so it was just we you know it was just kind of one of those happenstance where like it would just kind of picked up and you know we had a couple bad guys in the area and we just kind of took care of it and you know it was onesies and twosies type thing and and so you know it was it was just a different feel and like you know when you're a cobra and that type of that environment is like, you know, you have no white space is what we call it. And so basically, as soon as you leave your compound, you, you just don't know who's who's bad and who's good. And so 
naturally it's just this uneasy feeling traveling around in that, in that environment. So, um, you know, in terms of dropping ordinance, I, I didn't drop nearly as much as him. Um, so it's, you know, it, I think he was pretty routinely dropping. So I think, you know, in terms of like having an active deployment, you know, I think he would, he was definitely, uh, much more active than I was. How did you and him communicate? Cause I know you kept in touch pretty regularly or I think you did. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, uh, I had like, um, just like this crappy little internet that we were able to, I think the government gave us. <laughs> so, I mean, like I was literally living out in the middle of a, a village, so it, I wasn't at a base. And, um, so it was, it was, it was rough living for me. I, I, like Mark was at a fob, so it was, you know, somewhat built up. I mean, it's definitely not, you know, it's definitely not paradise by any means, but it, it was a little bit more than what I had. I, I was living out of a safe house, basically. And uh, so anyways, we had a, uh, a government-issued, like, you know, network or whatever that connected to satellites. We'd talk uh, mostly online, I guess, through email, Um and every so often we'd call through the Iridium phones, satellite phones, and uh, chat over the phone. And um, I think the last time I talked to Mark was probably about, I'd say, a week or two before before he was killed. Okay. What well, what was your conversation about? The the our last conversation. Yeah, the last one. Yeah, so that, you know that that's interesting. Um, so, you know, obviously I was kept abreast of what he was doing, you know, and, you know, I, like, vice versa. And so I always knew, and obviously I was able to read sit reps that, like, you know, things were, things were busy for him. And so, you know, we'd, we'd talk and, you know, he'd kind of allude to that, the fact that he felt he was being targeted. And, uh, you know, obviously, it's, it's like, you know, if you went out your, in your backyard, you kind of know your neighbors, right? So you know the people that are surrounding you. And so I think that's kind of the, the feeling I got from our conversations was that, you know, he was in that, that location for five months. I had a feeling that people knew who he was. And he felt like they were targeting him. And then he told me that. And he said, man, I feel like, you know, each time I go out, the rounds are getting closer and closer. And I was just like, hey, man, like, you know, you got to be careful. Just keep your head down. Like, we only have a month left and we're out of here. So, you know, just kind of just, just bear with it, you know. Like, <laughs> try to, you know, I, I, it's hard to say because it's like, you know, you want to be like, hey, man, like, keep your head down and just kind of ride out the next month. But same time, it's not always your choice to, you know, pick and choose what you're doing if you're going on missions, if you're not. And so it's kind of like, he, it was almost like this this concern that he he was, you know, indirectly talking to me about, but you know I, I really could only offer so much advice, just you know, like I said, you know, and um, you know, I, I, in hindsight, I look back on that conversation and I kind of felt like it was one of those, you know, those moments where like, you know, God was speaking to both of us in in, the, in our conversation. It was kind of like. You know, I don't know. I might be reading a little bit too much into it, but it was like, you know, was he kind of like saying, hey, this this could be it for me? You know, I, I don't know. I look back and I'm like, man, like, did he have enough, you know, 
like thought or information, I guess you could say to be like, this was like his way of just kind of prepping. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously Mark was very close with God and he was, uh, very in touch with, you know, those, those type of, uh, feelings. And, you know, I, I can't help but to think that that was the case, you know, it was kind of his way of just being like, Hey man, like if I don't talk to you, like, um, you know, best of luck here. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. So that that's, was one to two weeks before he was killed. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was about a week, week or week or so before he was on his last mission. So, well, and I've never heard that, Bobby. That's it's interesting because, as I've said before, and I said this at Mark's funeral, you know, I, I noticed, and I know Joseph said the same thing that he noticed the, you know, Mark started telling us that he loved us, and then he would, and, and the frequency of that, you know, uh, upped, and uh, I wonder the same thing as you know, you were looking back, you know, he's talking about being targeted. And the round's getting closer, and I, and that probably also affected his reaction, his interactions with us. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can't remember. Like, you and I have talked so much, and honestly, I don't remember what I've said and what I haven't. But, you know, it's definitely one of those things that, I, you know, I don't really talk too much about it. But, you know, I, I do vividly remember our, our conversation, our last conversation, and, uh, you know, I think I've talked to Johnny a bit about it, and so it's just it's one of those things where you can't help but wonder if that's kind of, you know, what the direction that conversation is going, you know? Mm-hmm. So. so take us to that day on September 29th and how you almost basically accidentally found out about his, de- his death and how all that went yeah. down. Yeah, so I was I was at the, uh, at my, I actually moved, um, about four months into my deployment, I moved to a different site. So I was a little bit bigger of a site. It was, it was, we actually had like a proper, you know, setup, and, uh, it was a bit like Mark's, like a fob. And, um, I was in the operations center, which is, you know, like the focal point of where we do a lot of our planning and coordination for internal to the team. And, you know, we had satellite communication set up with a speaker box, and you can hear, you know, people all around Afghanistan, the soft community, calling in and talking about, you know, what they're doing and where they're at. So you can basically listen to what other other teams are doing. And so, um, you know, I, I had walked into the operations center after doing some whatever, I don't know, messing around at, the, at my room, and I was going to do some sending out some emails, and I, I heard that his team, I heard there's call sign, his team leader or team sergeant, come over the uh, SATCOM radio and declare that they were in troops contact, which means, you know, they're in a firefight. And I could tell by his voice that he was pretty frantic. And so I was, you know, I, I wasn't too alarmed by it just because I'd heard it a lot before, right? So Bobby, was this Wes Wilson, or do you know who it was? I don't know if it was Wes, but I, I assume it was because usually it's the team leaders that would call up and, uh, you know, communicate with higher headquarters. And so I heard uh, who potentially could have been Wes call up, 
you know, announced his call sign, and I was like, okay, that's Mark's team's in a tick, you know, and he's passing information about the enemy and all that stuff, and then uh, a little bit of time goes by, and then I hear, um, I assume, you know, the information war- made its way back to West or whoever the team leader was, and and uh, found out about Mark and Calvin, and, and so I was sitting there, and over the SATCOM comes, you know, the, the call sign, and it, and then that person said, you know, to higher headquarters, you said, hey, our uh, our JTAC and our Delta are KIA, killed in action. And so, uh, you know, naturally I had this really, like, you know, I could feel my skin tightening up, and I was kind of like, you know, I didn't really want to believe it, you know, because it was kind of like, oh, man, that that must be somebody else, you know. But because I know there were other teams co-located and, you know, other JTACs in that area. And so I was just kind of like in denial. And so uh, I looked just to confirm on the spreadsheet that I had that that was, in fact, Mark's team. I was like, OK, yeah, yeah, that's that's Mark's team. And so I verified the call sign. Then I was like, OK, like let me read what's going on. I was like, okay, yeah, Mark is out today, but I'm like, ah, it still could be somebody else. And then, uh, so then I'm, you know, obviously I'm a bit panicked at that point. I'm just like, man, this, this, this can't be happening. And then, um, so I ended up picking up the phone and I called back to the, uh, stock, which is basically where it's the hub for combat control, um, teams that are, it's basically the hub for combat control in Afghanistan. And I called back to get a hold of my commander who's in, in country and uh, Amy Osborne picked up and she said, uh, I said, Hey, this is Bobby. And she was kind of quiet. And, she, and I said, I said, is that Mark's team? And she was, she was dead silent. She didn't say anything. And then uh, I could tell that she was kind of holding back tears and, and then the next thing she said to me was, um, you know, what can I do for you? And I just, I was just really, really overwhelmed at the time. And so I threw the phone down. I was just, I was furious. You know, I mean, that was kind of the only way I could react. And I threw the phone down and just ran out of the operations center. I was just, I don't know, I was just really upset. And so, you know, my, my team leader and my team sergeant were both in the operations center and they, they knew what was going on, you know, they could see what I was doing and they knew that my friend had been killed. I didn't have to tell them. They just kind of put the pieces together based on what I was doing and the conversations that we're having. So then I went to my room and, and, uh, just, I don't know, put my head down. And then I went outside, just kind of was trying to gather my thoughts. And then, uh, you know, the, my team leader came up and man, it was crazy. Cause like he was, you know, his eyes were watering and stuff. And I was just kind of shocked that like I had, my emotions had touched him so much that he, he was feeling that way. And, um, he's like, what can you do? Well, what can I do for you? And so I was like, yeah, I gotta get out of here, man. This is, uh, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta go escort Mark. I mean, there's just no question about it. That was something him and I had talked about beforehand. And, um, so then I went back in the operations center, I called back, Amy answered and, um, I said, Hey, you know, you need to get me a flight out of here. And so, uh, 
so she started working it. And then in the meantime, I was going to pack and uh, pack my stuff. So, cause I knew I wasn't going to come back. I brought Mark home. So that's basically where that leads off. <laughs> Did you break anything before, like in your anger? No, not really. I mean, I threw the phone down. I mean, I, I wasn't like, my intent wasn't to break it. It was just kind of, <laughs> just, you know, I didn't really know. I wasn't really subconsciously kind of just doing that. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I was packing my stuff pretty quick. You know, I'd already been there for a month, so I was kind of settled in. But the team, you know, you know, they're like, man, you're leaving? I'm like, yeah, I got to go. Because, you know, it was one of those things where if you decide that you're going to bring home your buddy, you know, and that's the agreement we, we made, you know, it's going to happen. So it was interesting because, you know, the weather actually was really bad where I was. I was in Eastern Afghanistan at the time. And so uh, they couldn't give me a flight out because the weather was called red. It was, the weather was wet to red. Excuse me. And so that means like you can't fly in it. And so I was like, well, and the, you know, so basically my commander and everybody knew how much, you know, that would mean to me to bring Mark home. And I was pretty determined to do it. They actually went through and jumped through some hoops to get me a medevac, which is the only thing that can really fly in red air, which is, you know, it was definitely one of those things where they were, they were pulling some strings, no doubt. And so the medevac came that night, picked me up finding weather that he shouldn't have been and uh, brought me to um, I think one other air, airfield that was close it was a helicopter and then fixed wing took me to Kandahar which is where I ended up meeting Mark Bobby what were your feelings when you first saw him there at Kandahar yeah so I, I showed up I landed in Kandahar and um, my commander and think my team leader, if I remember correctly, um, picked me up in a in a truck, and you know obviously they asked me, they said, "Hey, do you want to do you want to see Mark?" And I was like, "Yeah." And so they brought me straight from the airfield to the basically I think it was just kind of like the uh, I don't know I guess morgue I don't know what other word to use I don't know if it's called something else but. So they brought me in, and then basically they opened this thing up and brought Mark out and just put him on a table, basically. And uh, Bobby, first yeah, of all, was, was he was he in the transfer case at that time? Those casket-like things, or was he in something else? No, he was just he wasn't he wasn't in that. He was just like on a table, basically, on like a little like a gurney almost, you know, that you'd see at a you know an ambulance carries around, and. uh yeah, it was, it was tough, you know, because, you know, like, you know, it looked like Mark, you know, I mean, nothing, you know, he had only been, you know, only been killed for a couple hours, so it was, you know, like, everything was very intact, it was, his body was normal, and, and so, like, they cleaned him up, obviously, and, you know, I, it was, he didn't have a shirt on, I don't think he had any clothes on, but it was, he had something covering his waist down, and, so he's just kind of sitting there, and I noticed his left arm had a, uh, you know, it was bandaged up. And I thought that was kind of weird with some gauze. Um, so I don't know exactly why it was bandaged up, but his chest, you know, you could clearly see a hole in it. 
and uh, on the side and the left of his pack. And, um, you know, other than that, like, everything just looked normal. You know, he looked like Mark. And so it was, it was really weird because, you know, when you see someone that's, like, just they look like themselves, you know, it's just, like, it's, it's weird to just kind of be like, all right, you know, like, you know, they're not going to communicate back with you, you know. It's, so it was, it, was, it was a tough time. And, you know, I, I, I thought the room, well, I, I thought I had the room to myself. So I was just kind of, I, I got pretty emotional, obviously. And um, then I, I had like kind of spent probably 10 minutes just kind of taking a knee and just, you know, doing a little praying and just talking. And, uh, and then I looked back and I realized that my commander and, and I think my team leader were still in the room. So, you know, I don't know. I felt like I had my 10 minutes of peace and kind of, you know, it was time to kind of move on. And I just, you know, it was, it was tough. So I, I, I didn't know. I wanted to stay longer, but I, I didn't. So it was kind of like, maybe I guess just go now. Just kind of felt like it was the right time to be done. Was the team so. leader uh, Greg Walsh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was. And I asked some these questions because I'm trying to put some things together based on, you know, things I've heard yeah. over the years. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was, my team was Greg Walsh. I'm just trying to remember if he was there. I think he was. I think that was it was him and my commander. So. Okay. Yeah. So, Bobby, what happened after that? Because we've got that picture and, and, and the folks, listeners, if you go to my website, fadforster.com or patriottothecore.com, First of all, when you go to that for the first time, you're going to get a drop down and you're going to be able to sign up and get chapter three off my book for free. And that's a lot of this is talked about in chapter three. You'll get Bobby's firsthand account. And also on the on uh, the post for this, the show notes for this episode is a, the picture of Bobby standing there in the C-17 at Kandahar. So at that point, you got the transfer case with a flag draped over it. When did that take place? Obviously, Mark had to be moved from the, the gurney type thing to that casket. Yeah. Do you know what happened? No. So basically, when I was done, it was basically um, that. I think that was the time from then forward they were prepping Mark because I think it was probably it was probably a good like one or two o'clock in the morning once I got to Kandahar and saw Mark and all that stuff. And the plan was to get on that flight. I think it was like. At, 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning and uh, fly out of there and head straight to Germany, I think, and then straight to Dover from there. Um, but uh, so I think from the time I left, they had prepped Mark to kind of be in that, you know, that, that you know, casket you're describing. And uh, I basically just, there really wasn't enough time to sleep or anything. So I just basically stayed up, got some food and then packed my stuff, made sure it was good to go a little bit out processing and then uh that morning you know right before our flight basically they do the onloading ceremony at kandahar where they you know pay their respects and load load uh the fallen onto the c-17 i think collectively there was three guys on the plane um and um so they loaded mark's body and then they kind of let people come in pay their last respects and then uh that's where that picture was taken and um 
close by was Calvin, which is Mark's uh, medic that was also killed with him. And, uh, one other, one other, uh, individual, I, I don't remember exactly who, I can't remember if it was a Marine or somebody, but there was three total on the plane, which is kind of crazy because C-17 holds a bunch of stuff. I mean, I think a couple tanks or whatever it can hold. And, uh, the thing was empty. It was literally empty minus three caskets and, uh, three escorts and then the air crew. So it's just, it's pretty amazing to see, you know, that level of honor and, um, you know, given to, you know, the fallen soldiers, you know, I mean, you know, that's, that's a big resource to, to dedicate to, you know, bringing back three guys. And so it was pretty, it was pretty interesting. But it was a very long flight. You know, I chatted with, uh, you know, um, Calvin's uh, escort, who I think was also on Mark's team. And he was uh, one of the SF guys. And so him and I talked a little bit. And that's kind of when I got on my computer on that very long flight home. You know, you kind of sleep a little bit. And then I got on my computer and I wrote a bunch of stuff down. It was kind of weird because I didn't know that I was going to speak at um, Mark's funeral and, uh, and the, um, dedication ceremony down in Herbert Field. So I didn't plan for that, but I, you know, I had a bunch of stuff written down because, you know, it was one of those things where I was just, I couldn't think of anything else to do besides just reflect on our time together. And it just made sense because there was a lot of emotions and, uh, you know, memories that were coming back during that flight. And I was just like, man, I, I couldn't, risk losing that so i wanted to put it on paper you know and so i was typing and then i think when i landed in dover eventually i found out that uh you know i was going to be speaking at those events so it kind of naturally made sense that i would just you know incorporate a lot of the stuff i already had written who asked you to speak um i can't remember if it was your mom or somebody Honestly, I don't remember who asked me to speak at Mark's funeral. It might have been you. I honestly, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then, uh, and so that was, you know, it's interesting because I'm not really big for the spotlight. I don't really typically enjoy being in front of people speaking. And so, but it was really weird because during that time at Mark's funeral, it was very, very, came very natural. You know, and it just, it felt like it was really easy to do because everything was just so genuine. You know, when you're talking about a topic that is very genuine to you, it's, it's kind of easy to do. And so, um, although it was difficult being that, you know, the situation, but it was, the words kind of came pretty easily, which is kind of an interesting uh, thing I observed from doing that. Mm-hmm. And you did a really good job, Bobby. And it was it was mixed with uh, humor and with you know I guess sadness. And you did it Thursday at the funeral and Friday at the memorial there there in North Carolina. And so we appreciate you doing that. Uh, I remember you know, we were waiting there at Dover for the plane to arrive. And it's funny now. I I, I guess we knew you were coming. But yeah. I, I, I figure we knew. Did we know you were coming, or do you even know? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you did. Because okay. I remember by your mom, she, you know, she was, 
you know, she, she knew that I was going to be there. And, and so she, I remember you guys saying that you were really happy and thankful that I was able to do that. And, you know, I know your mom was just, you know, it was tough seeing her because it just felt so terrible for her. And, and describe that, that meeting and embrace with mom at Dover. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely, you know, one of those moments, special moments because, you know, that's, I feel like that's the point where, I mean, I, I literally had met your mom once before, I believe. And that was, you know, basically the last time that Mark saw your parents, which was down in Florida when we were, when we were uh, deploying. And so I literally had only met her once, but I felt like I know I knew her really well just because Mark and I spent so much time together and I'm sure that we, you know, we came up in conversation with each other as a family. And, um, it was, uh, it was tough because, you know, I just hated seeing her mom, who's the sweetest lady, you know, uh, just in so much pain, you know, and it's just the only way to describe it. You know, she, she had lost her son and it's just, I couldn't even imagine the feeling that she was going through. And so it was kind of, but, you know, it was weird because, you know, I kind of felt that, you know, we just instantly made this connection and that's why I feel like, you know, your mom and I have really, you know, kind of kept close over the last, you know, couple of years. And it's just, uh, I think it was one of those things that was special for her that I was able to do that for her son. And obviously there's no, there's no way that I could ever replace Mark, but I feel like her and I have this kind of connection now that we're, you know, it kind of a little piece of me, you know, lives on and whatever, a little piece of Mark lives on me, I guess, or I guess however you want to put it. But, um, it's, it's, it was, it was tough. It was definitely, it was tough seeing everybody there and seeing the whole family and your dad. I don't know. It was weird because I'm like, what do you say? You know, I mean, it's always mm-hmm. one of those things where you literally like people ask, like, what do you say? And it just, I don't know. There is no answer. You just, there really can't say anything. So there, there wasn't much said, I don't, if I recall. Well, I remember, I think it was me, I remember asking you as we were kind of standing around before we had gone out for the actual ceremony. And I said, hey, Bobby, did you see Mark and how did he look? Yeah. And you started to answer and you kind of looked over at Colonel Armfield for permission, you know, is it okay? And then he, he kind of nodded and yeah, and you said, yeah, his arm and his, and his upper chest. I mean, do you what do you remember about that and then how did we what else do you remember about us as a family how we looked and how we acted yeah um yeah it was just you know you just never know what in those situations like i said what what should be said what shouldn't be said and especially since you know i didn't know what you had heard and what you hadn't heard and i felt like i was kind of walking on eggshells i feel like you guys were looking at me for answers and I had, you know, Colonel Armfield, who now is General Armfield, I think is re- retired now. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to put myself in a weird position where I was saying something I shouldn't be. And and so, um, you know, I was kind of treading lightly. And then, you know, I, I, could, I just remember you guys all grouped together, um, you know, a very tight family and um, just kind of looking at me and just, you know, it was – one of those things where I don't think there was any relief. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I can't really describe what I, 
felt when I saw you guys in terms of like what you, it was kind of like disbelief, but just like you, you might've been looking for answers. I, I don't know. It was really hard, hard to describe. Yeah. And for us too, but it, it was, it was a good thing to see you. I know it was for me anyway. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you when you went, I think when you went back, Bobby, you, you were going back, uh, you were getting redeployed not too long after that. And yeah. you called me and you told me you had some options and you were angry. This is, the, yeah. this is what I remember. You wanted some revenge, but you said, Hey, I've got these options that I just wanted to get your thoughts on it, of these two locations to go. And you yeah. also wanted to wear Mark's Don't Tread on Me patch that he was wearing when he was killed. So you got that and took it back. But I don't know. What can you say about that that next pretty quick deployment? And did you did you make the right decision? Yeah, so kind of how it boiled down was a couple months after. I think it was in, like, December. So I got back. Mark was killed in September. And then... You know, I think an offer came across the bow to go and uh, deploy to uh, Cobra. And um, and so that was a really quick turnaround. I think I was I left in February. And so, you know, like I mentioned, uh, actually the, the the mission Mark was killed on, it was, it was actually a really successful mission in kind of driving out the Taliban and, and setting uh, kind of like, you know, kind of cleaning them out more or less out of that valley. And so, um, so, you know, that was the upside is that, you know, Mark really had a huge impact on that area and, and, and really kind of changed it. And so the, the, the dilemma, I guess, so to speak, was the option was to go to Cobra. And then, you know, I had other people telling me that if I wanted to, really be involved with fighting the people that Mark was fighting, I should go to somewhere else south of there in, um, in Helmand. And so it was, it was kind of a tough, and that's basically what I proposed to you. I was like, you know, what do you think I should do? You think I should go to Cobra or you think I should go to Helmand? And so it was like, you know, should I go try to fight the people in, in Helmand or should I go back to Cobra and see what remnants is left and fight those guys? And so ultimately... I decided to go to Cobra because I felt right. And, uh, you know, I ended up a little bit farther south of Cobra. It wasn't at the actual fob because things had kind of spread out. And, um, you know, it, it, the, the deployment was fine. We, it, was, it wasn't as active um, as I had hoped. Um, we did find out a decent bit of information that, you know, kind of led us to um, ultimately figuring out like who the, the main orchestrator of, you know, that, that attack was, you know, in September where it killed Mark. And, uh, unfortunately due to regulations and, you know, the administration at the time, they were so strict on what we could and couldn't do. Um, you know, naturally I was just furious because it was, it was, it was tough because, I, I, we kind of, generally speaking, knew where, where these people were and, um, potentially the person that even orchestrated the attack and, um, we were basically told we couldn't go to, to, to go, you know, kind of unleash on them. And, uh, you know, you can imagine how 
frustrating that must have been for me. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. It was kind of like almost like one of those feelings where people are dangling a carrot and you just don't even, <laughs> you know, you're starving and you need something. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, once things kind of loosened up, you know, people were able to go in that area and, and do good work. And, uh, but it just, it was tough because, you know, knowing what I knew and, and kind of being restrained was, was not a good thing for me. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I look back on that deployment and I feel like, you know, I don't know if it did worse, worse for me or better, but I, I kind of lean on the side of worse because it's just how things played out. So, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. You just can't, you can't ever predict on how things are going to turn out. Yeah. Was it on that flight when you went back over that you, is that where you met uh, Mark or Cal's replacement and uh, maybe Mark's team leader or something? What what happened there? Because it's really interesting you described that. Uh, oh, yeah. That's so, you know, when I was flying back from Kandahar with Mark and Cal and, uh, Basically, you know, we stopped in Germany and, uh, you know, it just so happened that the guy that was replacing one of the team leaders at Cobra, because it was two teams, we ran into him and the previous team leader is, is, is still alive and his name's Will. And, uh, but he was badly injured. And so, you know, this guy was coming from the States and we met him, bumped into him in Germany and, uh, the guy that was escorting Cal home was obviously an S- a Green Beret. He knew, he recognized the guy, so we went up and talked to him. And he's like, "Hey, you know, what are you guys doing? You know, like I'm on my way and I'm heading to Cobra." And you know, him and this guy and I looked at each other and we're like, "Oh man, like, w- w- like should we even talk to him about what, you know?" And so ultimately, we decided, like, you know, the reality is we should we should you know disclose like what we're doing, and so. We're like, yeah, you know, we're we're escorting two guys home right now. They're dead. That literally just came from Cobra, and uh, it was. I think it was pretty uh, pretty eye opening for for that gentleman. He, it was his first deployment, mm-hmm. and so oh. it, you know, you can imagine the way that he felt, and you know, we kind of felt a little bit of anxiety because you know that's 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 a lot of weight to put on someone's shoulders but at the same time like you know i think the weight of you know the reality is is something also good to know so yeah it was it was interesting you know i mean the guy the look on this guy's face is is i'll never forget it and you know it's just tough to uh be in that situation yeah i imagine that would be concerning you're going to to an area where two guys on your team were just killed. And, uh, yeah, so that would have been Will Lyle's replacement, right? Yeah, I believe so. And, and Will has been on the podcast. Uh, I forgot okay. which episode, but Will was one of the earlier episodes. And, and for the listeners, yeah, he lost his, his legs over there. I yeah. think it was in August. So August of 2010, right? You know, a little over a month before Mark was killed. Month, month and a yeah. half. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, um, Bobby, to wrap it up, I mean, what what has Mark's impact been on your life? 
Yeah, man, that's a hard one to sum up in a, a sentence. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was, um, you know, it was an absolute pleasure to to kind of live alongside him for the couple of years that I did. And, um, you know, it, it was certainly a, a turning point for me. And honestly, you know, I felt like when him and I were together, it was uh, he was a really good impact and influence on my life. And, um, you know, there was a couple of years after that, you know, I was a little bit lost. Um, you know, I had a lot of different emotions going on and, uh, and so I kind of feel like I went down a, a weird path for a little while and not necessarily something I'm, you know, that proud of, but, you know, I think ultimately the impression that he left, you know, kind of led me back to where I am today, which is in a really good spot and um, both, you know, physically and spiritually and uh, I have a wife and kid on the way and I really feel like, you know, that influence that he, you know, he had on me was definitely, uh, uh, you know, something that I'll always carry with me and I'll be able to kind of instill on the people that I, you know, come across and I'm actually still in the, you know, the career field so that, you know, I, I feel like it's so important for guys to really understand who who Mark was and keep that his legacy alive, you know, and I feel like it's just the only way to honor people that, you know, make that sacrifice is just to continue to talk about them and, and um, you know, never forget them. Yeah, well, Bobby, my family and I thank you tremendously for your loyalty and friendship to Mark and also to us. And, um, you know, just for keeping in touch with us and for coming around and we've are, we are very happy for you. I mean, yeah, you're, you're working full time. You're in the guard, you're in grad school, you're married, yep. you got a baby on the way in December, right? I think December, January. Yeah. yeah, December. Yeah. So man, very happy for you. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate you, it. <laughs> a lot anything going on, else? But no, I think that's it, man. It's, it was a pleasure, and I'm glad we could, uh, you know, kind of commemorate Mark's, uh, Mark's life a little bit and shed some light for uh, for the listeners. Yeah, yeah, thank you. This is a really good uh, interview to, to be for September 29th as we commemorate the seventh anniversary of the death of Mark. So thank you for talking about it and, and for kind of stirring up some emotions with me, and I know it will with at least some of the listeners, including... You know, some of my family that'll be listening, and I think it probably did with you too. And but, uh, big appreciation, buddy. Uh, great hearing from you, and we'll uh, talk with you or see you sometime soon. Okay. All right. Take care, Dad. When I fly that plane, call the angel flight. Got a hero riding with us tonight. Riding with us tonight. Between heaven and